Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times second captain's podcast for a show of the week. Murph is here. Hey there, Owen. Yes, indeed, I am. Ken is here. Hi, Owen. How you doing? I'm not bad. I'm Owen. I'm here too, and I'm pretty happy this Monday afternoon, guys, and I'm not going to lie. What, uh, what, what has to put that smile plastered all over your stupid face? Well, you see here, I'm reading through this. <laughs> <laughs> you brought me down already before I can even tell you why I'm so happy. I'm reading this review here of Brian O'Driscoll's autobiography by Peter O'Reilly in the Sunday Times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've just twigged that I share a vitally important life experience with... Possibly Ireland's greatest ever sportsman. Which is? I'm always trotting through these autobiographies to see what connects me to these Being men. Being arrested these, in America? Well, no, not far off though, Ken. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tawdry, this bit. It is, it is quite tawdry. Being uh, voted Ireland's sexiest man? No. <laughs> is that tawdry? Your tireless work at the breakdown? Uh, again, not that. No, we've Being both, an auxiliary flanker in many ways? We've both been punched by angry little Frenchmen outside Parisian fast food restaurants, Ken. Really? Yeah, right here says, we see someone who had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol early in his career, who vomited on the Champs-Élysées in the night of his famous hat-trick in 2000, an evening when he also received a punch outside a fast food outlet. Right, so what, what was the circumstances of your one? I've told this one before, haven't I? I don't no, think so. It was after the, we were, it was the Ireland-France game when about 30,000 Irish fans went up. You were out of the game. The Ireland-France nil-nil football match. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Brian Kerr manager, Roy Keane back in the Roy Keane, Kevin Kilban, I think, in central midfield. Roy Keane, Kevin Kilban dominating Rio Mavuba in the for <laughs> Rarely for to be seen again for France. And uh, yeah, no, just, just out afterwards enjoying the victory. Uh, little, little lad, tiny little lad on a moped. Um, wasn't enjoying the Irish supporters. I mean, we're the best fans in the world. This guy did not seem I to understand. I don't understand it. But we're the, we're the best fans in the world. Lads <laughs> shitting up uh, lad posts with their trousers and, around uh, their ankles. That's I don't know. Sort of yeah, there was, I, I don't know why I was picked out of the, the group, but I, I received a punch from the... He didn't even take his helmet off. Really? He just sort of punched me and jumped back on the bike. <laughs> I got, uh, yeah, obviously, I was too much of a, a weed to defend myself, and mm. none of my Irish colleagues seemed too happy to defend me either, so he just hopped back on his bike <laughs> and rode away. Fair enough. After, after, after having landed a, a clear punch. Uh, that's quite something, Owen. Mm. I, I hope you're okay, are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay, thanks, Karen. It was a long time ago now, so I've just recovered. It was the opening weekend in the new Champions Cup. Let's get to the series business here. Here's the key individual moment. 
Inside the 22 metre line, back to Keatley, the attempted drop a goal. Keatley towards the post. Keatley with the drop a goal. It's gone between the posts. Ian Keatley with the drop goal for Munster. The referee has blown the full time whistle. Sale have been beaten at the AJ Bell Stadium. There's a sign that says, Invest smart. Munster played smart. Keatley with the drop and goal. It is Munster who have won the match at the death. Yeah, Michael Corcoran there on RT Radio taking you through Ian Keatley's late match-winning drop goal for Munster in sale. Jerry Thorny and Shane Horgan are going to be in shortly on that and the Lencer's performance. Uh, I think Lencer looked like they might be in damage limitation mode a little bit with the injuries. I was reading the match programme last night at the RDS. It featured an article about the game against Wasps in the pool in the 2008 Heineken Cup. Mm. And the, just reading the Lencer team gave me a bit of a fright because it was so good. Then this, this is that would have been the start of the season that ended uh, culminated in their first Heineken Cup win. Gervin Dempsey, Shane Horgan, Brian O'Driscoll, Luke Fitzgerald, Rob Carney, Felipe Contopomi, Chris Whitaker was the back line. Okay. Jamie Hees of Shane Jennings, Rocky Elson, oh, yeah. Malcolm O'Kelly, Leo Cullen, Van der Linde, Jackman and Stan Wright. I was thinking, oh that you can see Matt O'Connor's taken quite a bit of stick in the last little while, but considering the injuries and I don't even know at full strength are Leinster as strong as they were back then. Just looking at player for player, that's Pretty strong stuff in 2008. So I put it out on Twitter, Murph. I asked, what would this team do God, in 2008? Such an abrasive presence on social media. What would this team do to the current Lancer team, the team out here tonight against Wasps? And I got one reply. And <laughs> that person, one reply. Yeah, that person uh, had, you got a few favourites for that, though. Surely. I think two favourites, maybe one retweet, and uh, one reply, which was... <laughs> You're not going to get yourself trending, uh, as the kids Leinster, say, old, yeah. with the uh, yeah. pro- productivity the, well, like that. The person what was your reply? Me. Oh, just that, yeah, that Leinster did. 2018 looks better than the team tonight. <laughs> it didn't quite. It didn't quite create the conversation I wanted it to. Uh, I hope you. Uh, I hope you tagged that person for their feedback. You and Mackenzie announced his resignation as Australia's coach immediately after their one point defeat to New Zealand. That decision is based more on off the field issue, issues, which we will get into with Matt Williams on the show today. And I know you like great GAA families, Murph. We're going to talk about the O'Connors, Killian and his three brothers dominating Mayo football along with their 11 teammates. Uh, they wow. just won the county title at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty... Well, I mean, it's it's four brothers. I, I've played on a team with... Have I? Yes, I have. With four brothers, the Blake brothers of Milton. So, I mean, it's not like it's entirely unique. But what is unique is the fact that all four of them... Now, I actually was talking to some people in Mayo this morning and no one in Mayo can remember the last time four brothers won a county title. So it is unique from Mayo's point of view. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, all four of them scored a goal in the in their semi-final victory over Knockmore, uh, they, which they won 9-11 to 13 points, which is pretty impressive. Uh, nine, that was the semi-final, 9-11. Nine goals in a, a county senior semi-final. That's pretty impressive. When you're scoring nearly as many uh, goals as points. So, so the, and you're not playing he, under 12 football. So That's K- pretty... Killian, Presumably Killian got one or two. He's the, he got three. He got three. And he then got the three, rest three, of them... And then I, I think after his right. third... Uh, it, the reports are a bit sketchy, but it did kind of seem like he was trying to make sure that all of the brothers got a goal as well. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there's a goal here for everyone, really, well, if well, we can just focus on the focus on the job at hand. We'll have Killian on a little bit later today on the podcast. Let's talk Champions Cup now, though, with Shane Horgan and Irish Times rugby correspondent Jerry Thorny. Jerry, cheers for popping in. Pleasure. Um, this early in the competition, after one game, are you glass half full or glass half empty? Are you looking at, are you focusing on the deficiencies, say, in Munster and Leinster's performances, or are you looking at it and thinking, well, the spirit is there and the composure is there to get the job done? I'd be more glass half full yeah. simply because the stakes were so high over the weekend, and that I think that the the three Irish teams in the Champions Cup got the bare minimum. 
You know, I think Ulster to get a bonus point from the position they're in that was the very least they didn't, and also to deny Leicester one keeps them alive afloat. They have to be too long at home now on Saturday. Monster won, and from one point of the game, you definitely would have taken that. And they got an away win that's invaluable in this tournament. And Leinster got through in the end. There, were, there would be imperfections in all the performances. Ulster were authors of a lot of, a lot of what went wrong to themselves. They, their mistakes, they really rue a lot of what they did wrong. You're losing seven lineouts and so forth, and coughing up an intercept try. Likewise, Leinster coughing up an intercept try. Oh, there was there was lots wrong. I thought Jimmy Gopper was taking the ball very deep at times. There was holes in the fringe defence, so forth and so on. But they got through from a low ebb in their season and with a lot of injuries. And Munster did what Munster do from a pretty appalling first half performance. Their breakdown in accuracy. They've real issues in I think midfield defence, particularly. I wouldn't need an Einstein to see that. But they, again, they got through and they had to. If, if Leinster had lost or Munster had lost, it'd be pretty much game over already. We'll start with Leinster uh, in a bit more detail. Matt O'Connor acknowledged afterwards that. The fact that there has been success in the last number of years helps out in a situation like that and maybe creates an idea in people's minds, in the players' minds anyway, that there's no need to panic, that they can get it done. Yeah, well, you only have to look at the All Blacks and Munster to appreciate that. I mean, it must be something handed down from jersey to jersey. It's in the DNA that when the 80th minute and you're behind, you know how to win. And Leinster have got a fair old um, grand swell of, of... of achievements behind him as well, but not so much in terms of comeback wins, maybe, as the others that I just mentioned. And only three of that starting 15 were in the starting 15 that won the Heineken Cup in 2012. That's incredible. It's, A lot of injuries, obviously. Yeah, injuries, retirements, yeah. departures, everything. You, it, The guts has been taken out of that team in many respects. And it was one of the three survivors, um, Jamie Heaslip. And I thought Owen Redden had a very good game as well. I thought Heaslip was just fantastic. 23 carries, 50-odd metres, leading tackler. But it's just the efficiency of his work. And, and when he shows up for work and what he does, he's such a selfless team player and another 80-minute shift and whatever he does in the team leadership. It must have been a very difficult week because I heard that they um, they lost Mike Ross and Rob Carney quite late in the week and uh, they would have must have been very concerned going down to their third choice tight head, Michael Bent, going up against Wasp Scrum. They'd done a number in Bath the week before and they came through that and he's up the way he shows up for work. Like That try that Dara Fanning got, the second try, the amount of times you see Jamie Heaslip show up as first receiver off tortuously slow ball and to manufacture ball, make slow ball into doable quick ball from which they can score a phase later. Credit to Devon Tone and Gordon Darcy for great clear out as well. But I just thought that Leinster stuck with their task and they got through. So you, I think that will give them a lot of satisfaction going forward. And I think both they and Munster and two degree Ulster are in a, a position whereby they they can win next weekend, but in all instances, probably do all three of them have to. Does a successful team, uh, in a way, in situations like that, uh, for, say, Sale and Wasp playing against Munster and Leinster, Shane, uh, does it almost create doubts in their own mind, even though they're ahead and they have a big lead? Because it, I would have thought teams at that level should be able to, to hold on and push on when they're leading by so much at halftime. Yeah, I, I thought it was a case of, uh, you know, the old New York Yankees uh, stripes beating both those teams Um uh, Wasps were in control of that game as were Sale um, against Munster um, more so probably even Sale at home um, but it was a case of two teams that are not used to playing in Europe not used to playing at the highest level or haven't done or haven't been successful for a number of years against a couple of Irish franchises in, in uh, Leinster and Munster that almost have a, a legendary uh, European status now I think that uh, took a toll on, on the opposition players and ultimately uh, they couldn't get a job done um, Sales certainly, certainly should have by far the best team in the first half Munster were fantastic in, in the second half but they didn't play. They were, you know, it was a fantastic result for them, but they didn't play um, 
like a team or Leinster didn't play like a team that you think would be serious challengers for, for the European um, Champions Cup. Jerry mentioned Jamie Heaslip there, uh, Shane, and O'Connor after the game was talking about Heaslip in glowing terms, saying that maybe he hasn't got the recognition that he deserves. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the case or if you would go along with that, but has he become the key man now for Leinster as well as being captain? Well, I think he has had the recognition. I think everybody's known for a long time that um, he's key to what Leinster do. He's a, you know the highest paid player in Ireland. Ira Few obviously recognise what he do. Leinster have just offered him, I've just signed a new contract for him um, in the last uh, six months. So uh, he was one of the key um, players for them. And and what well, you get with Jamie Heaslip is not just um, a great defensive player, great ball carrier, a great worker, someone who plays every single game. Like he never gets injured, and that's unbelievably important um, for both Leinster and Ireland. But I think you know Jerry touched on a point there, which is key to Jamie Heasley playing well or not, and it's something that I've been banging on about for a number of years. Leinster too often use him one one zone out from the nine, and the nine gives him this flat pass when he's standing still. All right, he might have the leech on him, which means there's a player in behind him to drive him over the yards, but they're very difficult yards. I don't think they speed up the ball in any way, and I don't really, I've never understood the point of Leinster doing it. We saw time after time at the weekend when Jamie came a little bit late, and Owen Redden and him were very much in sync of the delivery in the ball, and he was coming onto the ball at pace. The trap is almost impossible to stop. He won't, he certainly um, won't get a, they won't drive him backwards. He'll get over the gain line, and that gives him momentum and Leinster are a different team when they're getting over the gain line when they are, they're a tempo team so when that ball speeds up and then they look for the space in behind or out wide um, that is really important if Leinster want to progress that they can't have to move away from the stationary restart uh, forward ball to that you know taking the ball at pace and getting over what the game What is the line. logic behind that Shane behind the, the more static style there is, is that just is there almost an ingrained idea that certain players are supposed to eke out these hard yards and that's the way to do it? Well, I think it's more difficult to time your run correctly uh, for both the nine and whoever is carrying. It's easier to be stationary and then, you know, drive straight in, get a leech on. And the, the theory behind it is that you get a leech on, you, you, you get to the last defender before the 10, and that mean, then you get really fast ball, and that ball goes. And then the 10 has to step into the first defensive zone, and, and then you get a mismatch outside. That, for me, rarely happens, because the ball is taken into contact. If it's stationary, then it's an easier tackle. Uh, the tackler can generally slow it up. You can get a second man in. That means you have to commit more men into the rook, and there's plenty of time for the, the, the defense to get around the corner and fill in that gap in between um, the, the rook and the 10. And you're just left in a similar situation again, generally end up having to kick the ball away. Um, it's a key timing thing. And, and if, you, if you notice, a lot of Jamie's runs were slightly from the inside out. Now, that doesn't, you know, textbook would tell you you don't run an outside shoulder. But if you can get into the gap outside a smaller defender, you know, a 10 or even actually, you know, if it's not one of your huge front five defenders, then if you're coming at pace, it's not really a problem if you get a little bit outside shoulder. You know, you saw Jamie get a bump on lots of people. He's very good at keeping his feet, uh, keeping his legs uh, pumping. And uh, he, he makes those meters after contact. The only problem with Jamie in this role is that he actually seems to be, along with Cronin, the only one who can carry ball at the moment because Leinster has so many injuries. Yeah, and whatever about carrying ball, even just uh, in terms of how the pack showed yesterday, Jerry, would you be a bit too wor- a bit worried that there was too much uh, pressure on Heaslip and he had to get involved in those ways? The likes of Mike McCarthy, Reese Ruddock, Devon Toner maybe weren't making the sort of impact that they should? Well, Ruddock would be the one you'd expect to be, ca- be able to carry more than he does. And I would... 
I find it extraordinary how often Ruddock takes ball on, standing on his heels and not yeah. at pace. And when he does come from depth, he makes, it makes such a difference. As you saw that try he got against Cardiff Blues. And Cronin, if you remember that um, brilliant support line he took in the build-up, the match-winning try, after Redden did a snipe and was going to give it to Kirshner and realised that was going to leave Kirshner isolated, step back in, and Cronin takes a line from deep. It's something Sean O'Brien does very well as well. As well. And Cronin's carrying was immense. I mean, he missed, I think, three darts. Uh, he won fumble when he was looking to make the pass on before he got the ball into his hands. But his carrying was just... They'd have been lost without him yesterday. I mean, he took on that kind of Keane Healy stroke Sean O'Brien role as much as anybody. And he takes the ball at great depth and he t- picks great lines. And I think that uh, Douglas came when he came on, added a bit. Um, I think all in all, when you consider the injuries they're at and Mike Ross to come back in, I thought it was a reasonably good effort from them. I think some of their breakdown work was quite sloppy. I don't know what Shane thinks about that. I mean, sometimes there was some brilliant clearing out. Again, Jamie does that superbly. I thought Dominic Ryan had a very good game and some of his clearing out was top notch as well. But at times they were, and a referee that is particularly hot, admittedly, Nathan Hodges, and, not, and, the, and the tackle player not releasing, I just thought at times they were in, inexact at the breakdown and players went in to clear out and didn't actually... Um, fulfil the job they were meant to do. Yeah, Jerry, I agree with you, and I think that has been a characteristic um, for a number of games now, if not a mm, number of seasons. Yeah. That the actually you, you notice the people who are very good at the breakdown, they stand out. Yeah. I think Gordon Darcy stands out a Superb. lot as a person who identifies the correct man to hit. And when he hits a man um, to clean out, he actually he just clears the field entirely. It's just remarkable. Um, and that ball is really fast. It's fast delivery, and again. That's where your tempo comes from. What happens is if you don't get the shoulder on and someone slips off the clear route, then um, both the defender and the attacker are almost lumped into the middle of the rook. And no matter how good your presentation is, that means the ball will be slower. It makes it more difficult for the nine to get at the ball and then everything stops. Then you're left with slow ball, and what do you do then? And uh, it ha- they have been inexact at uh, a breakdown. It's something that uh, O'Connor needs to... Uh, I- he has identified it. It's not as if he doesn't know that that's the case. And you can't... It's, it's not enough to say the referee isn't refereeing the rook correctly. You have to be clinical in that. And when Leinster were at their best... And even when they were at the best of the weekend, um, that's what they were doing. So yeah. it's not necessarily just about size then? And, uh, and uh, physical. No, no, no. Yeah. Listen, you know, for me, it's technique. Like Gordon Darcy is, is one of the smaller guys in the field, if not probably the smallest guy in the field. Is there anyone better at clearing out a rook than Gordon Darcy? I don't know if there is. If we move on to Munster, Jerry and uh, Ian Keatley's performance mm. for a start, and I think the Foley comments afterwards were quite interesting. He's taken a big step forward in his career today. Yeah. Foley said the number ten jersey is is a big one to step into. So Foley wasn't shirking uh, or stepping away from the idea that there is pressure on Keatley, and it has been maybe difficult for him at times. How um, momentous a moment could that be for him? Well, how do you follow Ronan O'Gara? You land an eighty minute drop goal or eighty minutes plus. Um, it's the only way, really, until you do that. Because O'Gara is such a legend, such a big shirt to fill. And uh, I thought Keatley's performance at the Aviva Stadium against Leinster was very good, one of his best so far. And you could see why they were persisting with him. Um, they don't obviously trust JJ Hanron's kicking game as much as they do Keatley's. When he takes the ball flat, he's a very good out half. Um, I thought his. It was just he, he actually. He used a certain confidence and, and belief in himself and he gave it to the rest of his team that they could believe in and I think it was a huge step up for him that they know now that he can deliver for them in a moment of crisis like that. But why do and you think was, he is delivering now? Is it just that there's more clarity in what they're doing and therefore it's easier for him to think his way through? 
Number 10, unless you're Johnny Wilkins or Dan Carter, number 10 is a very, it's a position that requires a lot of time in the jersey to master. O'Gar has been saying this mantra-like for years, and it's true. If you look at most out-halves, they grow into the role, and an awful lot of out-halves play their best rugby in their late 20s, 30s. Eric Elwood did, David Humphreys did, Ron O'Gara did, and um, Keighley is only 27, and okay, he has a lot of games under his belt in terms of Celtic stroke, Magna stroke, Pro 12 league. But in terms of Heineken Cup, he doesn't actually have an awful lot of game time under his belt. And he doesn't have any international cap, so he's building experience. I just think it comes from being in the jersey and, and just having that more confidence what he's about. Jerry, uh, I would, listen, and I think he's played well. I think you're right, he played very well against, um, Leinster. against Leinster, one of his best games, I, yeah. I think. I thought it was really impressive. He attacked the line flat. Um, I think the, Leinster, the Munster forwards helped him out in a huge way um, in that regard. But also, you can't. I don't think you can. I think it's. it's you do have to separate um, the overall play and hitting a drop goal in the last minute to win a game. Okay, which takes um, a mental fortitude. It actually to put yourself in the position to take it on and then to execute it is. You know, they are all re- remarkable skill set, very important, and it was obviously key to to Munster. But. I think you can you have you have to separate that out from the rest of the game as well. So yeah, yeah. Can you, you don't think he managed the rest of the game well? Well, you know, I, I don't think he was helped. Uh, um, I don't think he was helped by his forwards. And I think I always always have sympathy for tens uh, when you know things aren't going well up front because generally, if you look at you know, I don't care who you put in as a New Zealand ten. They generally do okay because you've got a, a powerhouse forward pack driving them on, very comfortable playing go forward uh, rugby. Like I always judge my tens by you know when they're under pressure, when they're going backwards. How do they flip the game around to take pressure off their forwards and make things easier for them? But goal kicking is invaluable, though Shane, isn't it for a number ten? And the, and the conversion he landed from the touchline from the Conor Murray try made that winning drop goal only possible possible to win the match and the conversion you think like the Paddy Jackson penalty he missed early on in the game the conversion that he had charged down but for those two kicks they would have been in within a drop goal of winning the match towards the end as well and so I'm just saying that Keighley made that possible with, with his goal kicking and how val- invaluable goal kicking is we sort of, just one, one or two missed kicks in a match can be so influential and he got all his kicks and he made that drop goal possible and I just thought as well Shane looking at the end you tell me but I, mem- I remember watching Peter O'Mahony bear hug him and talk to him whatever it was he said to Keighley at the end so all every single player going up and congratulating him and for number 10 I would imagine now he's going to feel so much better I must, he must feel better about what, he's, what he represents that Munster 10 jersey than he has at any stage since he joined the club well I think he probably is in a more comfortable position than he's ever been yeah. and I think that ghost of Aron Nogara is slowly being laid to bed because it's just not hanging over the shirt. It's, it's, the proximity isn't there anymore. Listen, Ronan will always be there in, in Munster and he'll always be spoken about and whoever plays that for the next 50 years is going to be compared to Ronan Nogara yeah. and they're going to have to get used to it. But it's, you know, the memory is fading a little bit. I know that sounds silly only a couple of years, but it does. And he is the player that they have in 10 and I think there's an, there is a... Um, there's an, um, people are accepting that yes, this is the guy we have to work with. Now, t- you know what I'd like to see, and I'm surprised it hasn't they haven't implemented it already, is getting uh, JJ Hannon in the park at the, the same 12. time. Yeah, like yeah. I just think so much better when he's there, isn't it? It's in so much better. You yeah. just you saw one of the last plays mm-hmm. when he came on, and it was they were deep in the red zone. It was a double shift out to Hannon, and he absolutely cork a right footer into the corner. Do you remember that? Yeah, and that actually allowed them to establish yeah. a, a foothold in the um, in the sail half, and eventually led to the drop goal after a lot of good work and a, mm. a remarkable drop goal from Keatley. But I think he's too talented a player 
and uh, not to have on the park. And I know they're kind of worried about, well, if we have Keatley and Hanrahan at 10 or 12, are we a bit weak down that channel defensively? I'm not sure if, you, if they are. Hanrahan uh, is like a big unit. Like he's bulked up. I think if you, he's played a lot of his, a lot of time at, at uh, 12. I saw him play um, the World Cup, uh, the under 19 World Cup a couple of years at 12. Mm. He was the player of the tournament for me. Um, I think if you want to, you know, change the d- dynamic, Munster are str- struggling in the centre at the moment. Yeah, midfield got, was poor on Saturday. It, it was is first and half defensively as well, wasn't it? Yeah, listen, you're, you're you're asking too much of guys who are not used. Like like uh, Hurley is not a, a centre, you know, he, he's not, and he, he doesn't, you know, he had a very good game against Leinster, but it's a, too big of an ask for him. You've got someone in there that can. Offer you the two first five eights. You know he can do, he can play that first five eight either side of the scrum. You've got now a, a great wiper along with Zebo a wiper on the other side. Mm. You're getting all these options all of a sudden, and he's a good carry, he's a good step. I know he does you know the odd you know crazy thing, but that 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 actually will be moved out of his game the more he plays at high level rugby I don't think the less he plays or you know it's slower you bring him in uh, he'll you know he'll gradually learn I think you need that white hot intensity of European rugby to actually really focus the mind and go I can't I have to really reduce my mistakes and I'd love to see him playing more rugby for Munster because I think he is a top top talent Jerry Anthony Foley afterwards uh, was also talking about the referee he'd go with the touch judge at half time and he said listen it's important to get a point across we're not here to take that write a letter next week and give out about in the press, we need to give out about it now. Um, is that is, is that a statement of intent from Anthony Foley? This is the way he's going to he's going to take on these because every I think every rugby coach in the world thinks that they're getting the raw end of the deal when it comes to refereeing, and maybe Foley's going to be proactive about it by hounding touch judges. He it's it's been quite amazing to watch how Anthony Foley has taken this whole head coaching role. It's like um, a genie out of the bottle kind of thing. He's just he's really embraced it, and he's been excellent in his dealings with the media. He's been. Very frank, very candid, and and very lucid, and and he's he's actually giving honest views at most of the time, and I I think it might be well a, a portent of things to come with Anthony Foley. He's been uh, yeah, he's been in, it's been quite interesting to watch how much he's evidently relishing the whole aspect of the job, and we thought that maybe his public dealings, his dealings with the media, and being in front of the camera and so forth, would be something he wouldn't particularly relish, but he's actually he's clearly reveled in it. What about dealings with referees, Shane? Is it a good idea to take that sort of thing on head on? You know, I don't know how much difference it makes, really. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it sounds good um, for the press afterwards. I don't mean that that's what Anthony Foley was doing it for, but um, it's good for us to hear those kind of things. I always think it's interesting and it's kind of, kind of enjoyable. Um, I don't know, you know, taking on referees, you know, speaking about the master of the game, I don't know how clever it is. I don't really know what you're gaining from it. I don't think that... You'll, there'll be a, potentially a, a, you know, a big negative from it um, but um, I just don't see the value in it really um, o- O'Connor's done a, a little bit the same with Leinster it's, it's can, it can, can be convenient as well especially you know, to, to revert to what we were speaking about earlier on when, when your own team is not being quite as exact as you want it can be, um, it can be very easy to say that the referee wasn't refereeing a, an area quite the way they should have been um, but does it have a benefit for your team in the long run? I'm not certain. It depends it how you do it as well, Shane, doesn't it? I mean, like Michael Check and Richard Cockrell, people like that have been fighting the law for years and generally the law has won out. Yeah, and if you look at how Joe Smith does it, it's very different. Like very, Joe very Smith subtle. has the yeah. arm, round, <laughs> arm round the chat, we're all friends here, you know. I've told you, I've never seen an operator like Joe Smith and how he... And he uh, complains about referees most games. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, he manipulates them in a really, yeah. you know, in, a, in an exceptional way and he does the same to, um, he does the same to opposition um, coaches 
coaches and players. If you see, you know, he has those sort of conversations, a really friendly conversation with them, and he would say, you know, one or two points, but he'd give them a point back. And I think that's kind of the way he, you know, that's the way he operates. Because well, I'm, I'm not going to totally bag the referee. I'll give him one or two points, and then you know, I'll subtly introduce a point that has been um, they haven't been very effective for us. And I think he's done that uh, through Leinster a lot, and we've seen him through Ireland a lot. You can plant a little seed again. I don't know if it's for your if it's for your own team's benefit or if it's for the media's benefit. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily has a huge effect on on referees. But I do know this: if you keep on bagging referees and you get them annoyed to a certain point that they're aware of the commentary, that's probably not a good thing. Jerry, you said that you felt all the Irish teams did the the bare minimum mm. or the, the minimum requirement over the weekend. Ulster are uh, up against Toulon mm. next weekend. Of course, do you think that the performance against Leicester was, uh, or at least the parts of it were indicative that they they can come good against Toulon? Oh, I think they'll play a lot better. Um, I don't can't imagine they're going to um, mess up seven lineouts again at home. It, it, it that must be a real worry for them. Um, force the issue too much and give away an intercept try and so forth like that. I mean, there were so many inaccuracies in their performance. I think they will be way more accurate. I think they can beat Toulon at home. I think it'll be a, a cracking atmosphere on occasion. But the other thing, like looking at it, they have to win, don't they? I mean, if they lose this game, they're pretty much goosed. So they have to win. I think it's the same as possibly true of all three provinces. Shane, yeah. That's the one thing about this new competition. and The elbow yeah, room. Know, yeah, there's, <laughs> none. None. And there's none. And I was thinking, I thought Lancer were going to struggle going into that Wasp game, you know, because they yeah. had a lot of injuries. Mm. But also the pressure. Like, I remember going into European Cup games, and you know the pressure anyway in the first couple of rounds. But that's like pressure on, uh, on a quarterfinal or semifinal, because it's almost, you lose your home game, you know you're out. Yeah. And that is going to be very difficult to deal with. The other thing that we've, you know, I don't think has been touched on, I don't be, hasn't been mentioned yet, is that because the, you know, this tournament is, you know, more compact, is meant to be, you know, more intense games and, and more difficult games, there's no easy matches, that you could be in a situation there would be a lot of teams that, you know, you lose your first game at home, you know, they're wondering, you know, are we looking at the French League now? Is that more important? Are the English League more important? You know, they... Yes. Okay. The the uh, sorry. The uh, Pro 12 teams will always you know focus on right to the end. But you lose your first two games in Europe and you're gone. You can forget about it. You're not coming out. So there's potential for a lot of dead rubbers in rounds five and six. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out because like we've now got five groups with um, three runners up going through. So sixty percent of the runners up are going through, mm. whereas before it was thirty three percent of the runners up, and one yeah. of them was pretty much decided after a couple of games. And you'd be surprised if the the, the pool involving the Treviso doesn't produce two qualifiers yeah. this time around. But there's still another two to get through. So you wouldn't know how it would pan out. But yeah, I agree with Shane. Like you just think about it. Back in the 05-06, Leinster, um, Munster lost their first match away to Sale and they got out of the group by beating the Dragons and Castra. Now, don't disrespect the Dragons and Castra, but that's not Claremont and Saracens, is it? So you're looking at them, I mean, Saracens, Claremont, the way that result panned out with both teams getting a bonus point was probably not that good for Munster. But either way, you look at it and you're looking at Thoman Park next Friday night and they almost certainly have to beat Saracens. They lose at home with Claremont back-to-back in December and uh, what Ian Keithley did last Saturday probably wasn't count for an awful lot. Yep, brilliant. Jerry, thank you. Shane, thanks a million. Thanks, Mel. Cheers. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I knew a butt whooping was coming at the back. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. Jane, 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 Tony is born. Iran Parker is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. 
tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now. I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your own information. I'm an alien. You should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. Simon has popped over from his production. Hi, Hi, Simon, from his little production position over here to sit at the <laughs> at the presenting table. <laughs> the, the leash comes this far. Indeed, so. yeah. What I, I wanted to ask your opinion on Anthony Foley's um, not particularly explosive comments about the referee, but uh, interesting that he he he, he thinks mm, we might as well bring it to the attention of the touch judges and the referees when they yeah. make mistakes. His comments, the, his comments weren't that explosive, but what he did is quite interesting. There's a bit of a precedent uh, with Leinster with Cheka did it a few times and he's done it since he's gone to Australia but I think it depends on the referee I disagree slightly with Shane in that I think sometimes it might work say with some of the French referees Roman Poit or Joel Jute I think it would go against you because whenever players try to pressure them on the pitch it nearly goes against that team yeah um, but there's all sorts of different styles. We, we've spoken to people all fair and on air about this, how big a job it is now in rugby to uh, read the ref, not just what he does technically, like if he's really officious about the breakdown or whatever it might be, but also his personality. Like they spend a fair part of their week in big games looking at the personality of their referee. So sometimes you'll see Paul O'Connell kind of be really soft and put his arm around the shoulder almost literally with a referee and sometimes just be really in their face and be aggressive. And it's judging that. Uh, is as much your job as uh, judging the technicalities. Australia against New Zealand at the weekend. We're going to get into that in a second. Um, I just felt watching this, uh, saw the second half of it, and it's, the further it went on, you're thinking, it's are, are they just setting themselves up for a fall similar to Ireland? And that's almost exactly how it ended. Uh, one point defeat for Australia against New Zealand, having led for most of the most of the game, six points ahead going yeah. into the last couple of minutes. They had already had a man up a little bit earlier on in the half. Um, and they didn't make, manage to make that count. They've, they've given up dominating teams. They're just the greatest New Zealand, team yeah, in the history of Yeah, they of just sport. leave it. They just make sure that they were they don't six even points. Want it. Yeah, it's boring when they're 10, 15 points up. That was only a small part of the drama in Brisbane. After the game, Hugh McKenzie announced the decision to step down as head coach amid, of, uh, load, uh, amid I should say, a load of off-the-field issues. Matt Williams joins us from Sydney. Matt, good to talk to you. All good, Ali. Love, love to talk to you again as well, mate. Uh, pretty dramatic stuff over the weekend in Australian rugby. It came within seconds, first of all, of beating New Zealand, and then Ewan McKenzie resigns. It, 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 he actually announced it pretty much mid-press conference after the game. Yeah, once uh, once at the end of the game, I was uh, the game was in Brisbane. I was watching it in Sydney, and they said uh, there's an important press conference with a major announcement. I sort of picked it, and we all, I think everyone in Australia and rugby was waiting, and uh, very sad. Uh, very, very, very sad for us that we didn't beat the New Zealand. We should have done them there. A bit of poor game management at the end of the game. But they, they certainly played the way that uh, the way you can beat New Zealand, and I think that's you know indicative of of uh, you. And you know he's a very good coach. He's won a won a Super Rugby with uh, Queensland. Took New South Wales to a final, and um, you know the teams played very, very well at times, and. Um, it was it was just horrible. It was all non rugby things that that led to this uh, this decision. And a, a, you know, a very good man uh, and a very good coach uh, has been lost to Australian rugby. It's it's and again, everyone out here in Australia 
is uh, talking about everything to do with the game except what happened on the field, and it's um, it's not a good thing. What? How did he explain his decision to uh, resign? Because the the story with the been allegations over the last number of weeks, uh, this, you've made reference to it there that he he had had a, a relationship with the team manager Di Patson, a former Australian team manager. Now uh, he denies that. But uh, there were other scandals surrounding this, including including Curtly Beale sending this inappropriate message, which ended up going to her amongst other people. But he denies that that, that relationship took place. Uh, yet he's decided to resign. I'm just not 100 percent clear on what his reasons are to actually step away. Yeah, look, no, uh, Owen, I I think that the um, pressure of being in a media storm like that. Um, is horrific, you know. I've been in a little bit, you know, just just in when your team's not doing well and, and all of a sudden you become the story, not the team, not the way you're playing. And it certainly takes uh, a massive toll on your family. But in this case, the the obviously the allegations were not just saying, oh, you look, you're a lousy coach. Uh, your team's not playing well. It was about... Um, you know, having a relationship outside of, you know, a, a secondary relationship. He's, he's, Ewan is, is separated from his wife. But either way, that, I just think that was putting such pressure on him and his family's children uh, that, that he just said, it's not going to go away. It doesn't matter what I do here. This isn't going to go away. It's still going to be festering around. And uh, I think he's walked away from that just to stop it and to, and to protect the people around him. Uh, I think in, in time we'll know a little bit more. And, and I could like tell you, I don't really want to know. I, I don't really care. You know, I only care if he's a good coach and the team is playing well. And I, I think a huge amount, of, the, the whole thing was handled exceptionally poorly by the Australian Rugby Union. And I've got to say, I thought it was handled very poorly by the by the Wallabies as players too. I, I uh, was very disappointed. And, and in some ways I was ashamed of the way that they, uh, the, the things that were carrying on. Is that the the allegation that Curtly Beale sent this message, or is there is there more to it than just Curtly Beale? When you say you're disappointed with how the players handled it, well, look, look, you know, I don't think I'm talking out of out of turn here. That that in the in the 1980s, Australia won a Grand Slam, a very famous Grand Slam in 1984. They went to New Zealand and won the Bledisloe Cup. It's the last time Australia won it in Park, and the coach was a guy named Alan Jones. He's a fabulous coach. Now, there's been books written about. Alan's life and and you know huge questions on his sexuality and and uh, you know all this sort of stuff and 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 who cares you know the the players didn't go out and say oh listen we're we're a bit concerned about the sexuality of our coach uh, we're not going to play properly they just went out and played because Jonesy was a fantastic coach and who cares it's none of no one's business and I think this whole thing with the players saying oh you know we couldn't concentrate on the game we got beaten by Argentina because of this you can't grow up. You know, like just get on with it. And they came out and they played really well against uh, against New Zealand. Should have won the game. So was it Ewan's fault in the last minute that they didn't? It wasn't. And I, I just, uh, I, I really felt some of the players, some of the senior players, needed to stand up and say, "Look, this has got nothing to do with us playing on playing uh, international rugby. We we didn't tackle well in the last few minutes against Argentina. We lost our way. And you know, people need to stop this. It's our fault. Uh, and you know, it's our success or our failure. And um, while while everyone knew that, n- none of the players really stood up. And I think Michael Hooper, who was a very good young player and, and is doing a good job, but he's only 23. And I, I just thought he, he showed he was a very young captain during this crisis. He came out afterwards and said, well, look, we all supported you and we didn't have a problem. 
as did the CEO, Bill Pulver. But that all should have been said a long, a lot earlier in the week. It should have been knocked on the head and they should have just got on with it. Michael Cech is one of the names quite logically popping up as the potential replacement. So we could see Cech in charge of an Australian team in Ireland and not too many men would turn down the chance to coach their country. But in these circumstances, and not that you necessarily know what Cech is thinking, but might you be a little bit concerned stepping into this? Well, you would be. Um, look, the first thing in, in this is uh, on the news tonight, uh, the ABC News is a very reliable source. They were saying that, uh, and they and interviewed Michael Checker, and Michael was was very positive, saying they're waiting for details to be done. He's asked that he stays with the Waratahs for the season to see out his contract, and then would would also coach Australia on the way through. Um, that's a very big ask in a World Cup year, but it seems, as as we stand right now, it seems that that's been accepted by the Australian Rugby Union. Um, Michael did say, and I, I would rightly say it, that uh, this is the second coach to go. Robbie Deans has gone um, and Ewan. There is very little money in Australian rugby. And I think part of this problem was created um, because Bobby Edgden, who is would be a friend of mine, was manager of the Wallabies for a couple of years. And, well, Edge just decided there's nothing bad there. He just said he got sick of travelling and he's uh, stepped out of the role. But they didn't replace him and they passed – the baton onto Die, and who had a very good background in uh, sports administration with the Queensland Reds. She was doing the role with the Reds, but not the head team manager. It is also very different in uh, international rugby. And, you know, Ireland's been very well served with people like Paul McNaughton, uh, ex-international, uh, Joe Mazzo in France, you know, again, a legendary French player has been the manager. And, and it, it takes a lot of pressure off the coach. And I just think because of financial pressures, they didn't replace Bobby and left it up to die. And I think it was a, a pretty poor managerial decision from within the group that should have been should have been stood on. And, and something minor. Now this is exceptionally minor. Curtly Beale is on a plane. He's getting off the plane. He's got the wrong shirt on. Now, when you're with a national team or a leading team like Leinster or Munster or Ulster, you have to dress appropriately in the sponsors' gear, and the team does it. It's nothing big. This could have been done a thousand times by Curtly, and she had to say something to him. Now, he should have just accepted it and got on and go, yeah, you're right, I've got to do it. And somehow this has all got out of hand from, from wearing a shirt. Ewan McKenzie's lost his role as a national coach a year before the World Cup over a guy wearing the wrong shirt. And that, this is what I mean. It's just been an appalling um, sequence of events that's just got worse and worse and worse. And, and the week we're playing... New Zealand in a Bledisloe Cup game, which was the highlight of every year. You know, when I was playing and, and, and you know, coaching the Waratahs, it was the highlight of the year to play New Zealand either at home or away, but certainly a home game. We hardly heard any rugby all week. And then, of course, we came out, and it was a magnificent game of rugby, and you, you've got to give the Wallabies great too. That's how you play New Zealand. Very similar way Ireland played them when they almost won in, and lost in almost identical circumstances. You've got to run, and you've got to attack them. You can't sit back and rope a dope. You've got to give it to them the whole time, and they did. And at the end of the game, we're not talking about uh, the great Australian performance and what a fantastic team New Zealand are. They're never beaten. We're talking about this series of events that you would see in a uh, – a pretty poor soap opera in the middle of the day. Just lastly, Matt, with all that said, are you, should we expect when Australia do arrive in Dublin and uh, to play England and to play the other games they have there, they did look pretty good, like I said, against New Zealand for large parts. So uh, should, should Ireland be, be warned that just because all this is going on behind the scenes, it doesn't mean that Australia are going to be poor? 
hundred percent, mate. I think they they got a very good chance of going through undefeated in uh, Europe. Very, very good chance. Um, they're actually in reasonable shape injury wise. Uh, last year there was a lot of injuries within that group, and they still went through undefeated. Uh, you've got uh, a few boys coming back in who have been out. Um, you know, uh, Cooper will be in there. Uh, Quade Cooper is coming back. He was on the bench the other day. He'll, I think, he'll start uh, starting in the in the some of these autumn internationals. And they're they're a pretty good side that that can play very good rugby. One of the biggest problems down here, Owen. Is every week you play either New Zealand or South Africa, <laughs> and it's pretty hard. You don't beat them all that often, and uh, so we get very down on ourselves when we when we don't beat them. And they they do beat up the uh, the players and the team because really for many years through the late seventies, eighties, and nineties we were beating New Zealand on a very regular basis, and and obviously for the last decade that hasn't occurred. We've been our wins have been very few and far between, and we certainly certainly blew one the other night. But I think this is still a pretty good Australian side that. Uh, will still do pretty well at the World Cup, even though they have a particularly hard pool. Yeah. All right, Matt, listen, great to talk to you as always. Glad you're keeping well. Thank you. Yeah, good on you. I'd love to talk to you as well. It does seem that Michael Cheka, and it's nice to get the update there, that Cheka has outlined what he wants, which is to keep his his job for the time being, uh, his club job, while also managing the national team. It doesn't, I guess, Australia are in a bind now. Czech is the guy they want and maybe they're going to have to do that for him but it doesn't sound ideal if you're preparing for a World Cup and you still have another commitment Yeah, another the, the word has they're so keen to hold on to him in any way or capacity they're willing for him to do both jobs as well so if the Wartos and the Australian Rugby Union are willing to do it and Czech wants to do it and there's a crisis there it's just about the perfect appointment. It won't be. I probably won't be great for the Waratahs. I think Australia will do fine because they'll have as much access to them as they need. But I think it's kind of bad news for Ireland if Czech suddenly comes in, the kind of personality that he is, team in crisis, uh, players uh, behaving badly off the field, some management issues. He comes in like what he did at Leinster on the field. Obviously, was great, but he kind of grabs an organisation by the the neck and bullies them around a little bit metaphorically and, and changes. He doesn't just change what's on the field, he changes what's off the field. Yeah, it's amazing. When He's you about s- the perfect person to bring in. When you talk to the Leinster players from that era, it's amazing how, I don't want to say backward it is, but c- compared to how you would have thought it would be, we're still ta- we're talking not that long ago. And yet, I think yeah. when Cheka first arrived, they were still, they still didn't have a proper dressing rooms and they were getting there was a time in my life where my job was to go to a Leinster press conference every week and every week you could get a 15-minute uh, one-on-one interview with, with the coach and it was Michael Cech at that time. And to some people that would be hell, but not Simon Hick. <sighs> it was out in uh, Old Belvedere in Dublin near the RDS and uh, they were changing in those kind of um, prefab things, those metal mm. locker mm. things. Um, the press conferences were held in an old sort of club room. It was it was pretty backward, considering they were getting quite good at the time. Yeah, so that's the kind of uh, off-the-field stuff we brought there. We'll see what happens. But right now, we're going to tell you what's coming up in the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> well, it's quite a lot to talk about, Owen, in terms of football over the weekend and football to look forward to this week. Um, seems like Gareth Bale is out of the Real Madrid oh. Liverpool match. That's disappointing, isn't it? 
Well, not maybe not so much for Liverpool. When you consider how well Liverpool managed to to win at Queen's Park Rangers. <laughs> a convincing victory there. I think that sent a message across Europe. I think there's yeah. a message. There was a message there, <laughs> all right. Hey, it was quite interesting, actually, after to watch, you know, Gerard afterwards say, you know, this is the worst, that's the most disgraceful performance I've ever been part of, more or less. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't believe how badly we played and how lucky we are. Rogers too, the two of them. <laughs> Rogers is saying, I feel for, uh, I really just feel for Harry Redknapp right now. You know, <laughs> so it was Harry Redknapp. Meanwhile, was absolutely destroying um, uh, one of his own players at El Tarap. Oh, they showed this at the end of match of the day too. Or oh. After, yeah, unbelievable. Three stone overweight. He claimed. What am I supposed to do with this guy? He's three stone overweight. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not sure. Great for your own player. Um, but we'll so we'll talk a bit about uh, that. And, I mean, there was a big match involving Sunderland as well. Evan. Don't want to forget that yes. one. Yes, we talk a little bit about that one. Eight goal thriller. An eight goal thriller involving Sunderland. Um, so yeah uh, Poor John O'Shea had probably the most enjoyable post-match interview of his life after scoring the goal <laughs> against uh, against Germany and then you see him looking just stunned uh, there's no other way for a defender to feel in that situation I would say And Shane Long on the other side not managing to score in an 8-0 I mean I think he was <clears throat> I'm not quite sure what, was it 4-0 when he was taken off um, he was on the field for a good few of the goals and didn't manage to get one We'll chat about all that a little bit later on. A bunch of county championships were decided at the weekend. We're focusing on Mayo here for a few minutes. We're Ballon Tubber, who'd never won a county title before 2010. Have now won their third in five years after beating Castlebar Mitchell's Mayo's Killian O'Connor is uh, is a Ballon Tubber man and joins us now. Killian, congratulations on the win. Uh, pretty nice feeling now to be the dominant club in your county. It's brilliant. It's it's a great feeling waking up this morning. Yeah, um, I suppose these days don't come around often, so you have to kind of you have to cherish them when they do, and you know you have to enjoy it. Any different feeling this year to the first year that it was won back in 2010? Is it not that it's old hat at this stage, but is 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 it more of a satisfaction or is it the same unbelievable elation? It is. It is different. I know the first time we won it was special for different reasons. Um, we were only three years senior in, in 2010, and we probably, you know, we weren't really sure what to expect, and we kind of played with a bit of whatever you know, youth, youthful abandon or whatever. We had no fears and it was great to win it. But now after struggling in 2012 and 2013, you know, and probably having doubts about ourselves, it's it's great to be able to, you know, prove that we're as, we're as good as what's there in Mayo again. Yeah, club football, Killian, has been well marketed in recent times and there's always this great focus on, on the idea of doing it with your friends. Or in your case, you're seriously living the cliche because you're doing it with practically <laughs> half the team. Or There's four of you involved, four brothers? Yeah, there's four of us, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant, but it's, it's not. Just like, <laughs> that's been said, uh, you know, a lot in the last couple of weeks. But there's a couple of sets of brothers. There's three other brothers: the Gertys, there's Feenies, there's Hanlons, there's there's various other families involved in the team. So it's, it, it is a tight knit squad, and you know, it's the same all around the country. We're no different to other clubs, other rural parish um, clubs. So yeah, it probably does make it that extra bit special when you're looking back. But during the season, you know, you don't pay any heed to it. Yeah, and I think we've all played on teams that have feature uh, big sets of brothers and stuff like that. And there is a, a safety in numbers as well. I know that uh, if uh, trouble is to brew at any stage around the, the pitch, you know that at least three of your teammates are not going to be yeah, shy you of know, uh, getting involved. You're not going to be left on your own. But <laughs> at the same time, they're the, they're the people that will be giving you a box after the game if you don't pass them the ball <laughs> enough. So it <laughs> works both true. ways. It's a different I mean, football at this time of year. It's often not pretty. It's, a, it's a, maybe a different part of your skill set that gets tested. Do you find it a different challenge? I mean, you, you'd also have the pressure of being a big county man and a big player in the county scene. How do you adapt to that when you're playing with the club? Um, I think what you said there first, it is a little bit different. Um, you kind of have to, 
maybe build your game plan a little bit differently. You're going to have to factor in the conditions and maybe, um, I suppose, the under underfoot surface and stuff because the ground was fairly heavy yesterday. It was blustery conditions. There was very little shooting from distance. So I suppose you have to carry the ball an extra 20, 30 yards. And I suppose in the defence, you can... You can you can back off lads on the forty five or even forty yards out when they're playing against the breeze and I suppose you really just have to protect that thirty yard space, fifteen yards either side of the goal, you know. So it's kind of batting down the hatches kind of thing for the last fifteen minutes certainly and that was the case again yesterday. Um, but you know the county thing I think when you're playing in, in semi-finals and finals as the club the opposition are going to have marquee players as well so they almost cancel each other out and you know we couldn't focus on one or two of their players because you know they've got plenty of, of players who are inter-county talent as well so you kind of um, you can't just focus on one or two now at the, the top clubs Yeah the same is true of St Bridget's one of the top clubs in the province and in the country you've got them next up are you putting pressure on yourselves now to try to to make to make some inroads there in terms of a provincial title. Yeah, I think I wouldn't say pressure, but I'd say there is definitely a there's a hunger from from, from the lads and the, and the management to, to push on now and to um, to really get the best out of ourselves. Um, I suppose we'd probably be a little bit disappointed the two times we won it. We didn't we didn't progress any further and we didn't challenge for Connacht, but the same could be said of St. Bridget. They'll be upset after the way they went out last year to Castlebar in such a close game and. They'll be, you know, they'll obviously have full guns blazing again to to get back to a kind of final and beyond. You know, they're going to have aspirations of going even further. So, you know, while they'll be driven, we're definitely we're definitely focusing again. Um, I think we'll be training tomorrow. And we'll we, we'll really be looking um, and doing a homework on them and just trying to get the best out of ourselves. Make sure we've no regrets anyway when when we welcome them in three weeks. Uh, and people who maybe just follow the the county scene much more than the club scene will be amazed at the fact that you've gone and won a county final uh, yesterday and that instead of that being in and of itself the end of the year that you can actually try and uh, raise yourself again to go to to try and win a provincial title which brings you through to club football in January and February and March I mean it's it's it doesn't stop does it for, for, for guys like yourself at the top level No it's it's busy it's a hectic schedule but yeah, I suppose if you can get yourself down and you can, you know, if you're thinking about it all the time, I suppose, and you had a few injuries, it could be tire, tiring mentally and physically. But at the same time, when we were knocked out of the Intercounty Championship, I was grateful that we had this because there was lads in the Mayo panel who, you know, their clubs were already out and they were looking at three, four, five months, you know, you could say rest. And I would much rather be in my position. I know I know, it's it, it's good to get the time off and that, but... Um, when you're winning, it's very easy to go back to training. You know, when, when we won the semi-final against Stockmore, you know, I was glad that we had a focus and I was glad to take my mind off the, the carry defeat. But um, you know, when you're winning games, it's it's very easy to motivate yourself to go training. So hopefully, if we can stay injury-free in the next few weeks and um, keep going, keep the keep the ball rolling. Killing just lastly, the All Stars are announced later on this week. Are you hopeful? Yeah, um, I hadn't I hadn't thought about them since the nominations were announced. To be honest, I was focusing on. And making sure we got over this hurdle, but yeah, I think I'm in the shake-up anyway. And I saw the nomination list, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes on Friday, and it should be should be a bit of crack. All right, Killian, uh, nicely, nicely dead batted there. <laughs> there, but you've got our vote. That's all you're getting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, enough. great to talk to you, Killian. Well done on the county win. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. No bother. No bother. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clive Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. 
Murph Killian's not going to do it, so you have to bat on his behalf for an All Star. He hasn't, he hasn't won an All Star. Hasn't won one, yeah. Which is surprising, only in, the, in well, because he's one of the best players in the country, and also has been Young Footballer of the Year twice and top scorer the last few years as well. <laughs> so I mean, you would have thought he'd have a pretty good chance in both of those years. I I am concerned about the Young Footballer of the Year becoming like a, you know, nearly like a sop, as in right, okay, you didn't get the All Star. But we'll give you the young or worse the again, a full-on curse murph, just like winning the par three tournament at the Masters. At the Masters, yeah, that, no, no, that would be a shame yeah. if the young footballer here became like the least wanted award. But I mean, and listen, Killian's happy enough, I'm sure, with his two young footballer of the year awards, his two top scorer in the championship awards, and uh, I think to be honest, he's going to get an all-star this year. He has to. One of, one of his rivals, Dermot Connolly, impressed you. We've been looking up. Uh, yeah. Dublin T is it Dublin TV? Is that they call it? Have put yeah. Up on the Dublin website. TV, I think Dubs it's called. But anyway, uh, uh, it's uh, another absolutely outrageously uh, good performance by his by him over the weekend in the Dublin County semi-final. He got a goal and six points. Most of them are up on the internet. The goal in particular is an absolute thing of beauty. Um, and we're kind of used to it, you know. But I mean, there, there, there are these tales are all over the country. They're common all over the country. Porrick Joyce, for instance, I don't know if you heard this. No. Uh, retired from intercounty football a number of years ago. Retired from club football uh, at the end of last year. His club, Kilrearn, were um, threatened with relegation. So it's from the championship. So he came back out of retirement last week. Got a goal and five points. <laughs> they lost. Uh, but the relegation final was on. Uh, on Saturday the game to decide which team goes down scored a goal in five points again and Kilroon <laughs> really so I mean Jimmy Conley could do it that's fine but will he still be doing it in whatever 12 14 years time that's the big question yeah check out the football podcast if you get a chance we'll have that out a little bit later on big Champions League week big Premier League weekend just gone so loads on that one you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Second Captains have a look at the website secondcaptains.com I'm going to stop saying the word Second Captains at some point thanks again Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thank thanks you, all. Kieran. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks so much for listening to Second Capital. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.